We'll be starting in a few minutes. We'll let folks uh, join us and get settled for the morning. I know I'm doing the same. Good morning, Josh, and thanks for sharing that even Dolly's saying good morning. <laughs> and just a reminder to folks, if you are um, making a comment to say good morning um, and you do want it to go to everyone, go ahead and select um, all panelists and attendees to make sure everyone can see your comment, if that's what you'd like. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Lauren. And Peter. Good morning, uh, Emily. Thanks for sharing. And uh, just a reminder to so some folks, um, if you're sharing and you want to make sure everyone can see it, um, please go ahead and share that to all panelists and attendees if that's what you'd like. And uh, for folks who have been uh, saying hello, um, we're glad that everyone's here with us. And uh, we'll be starting in a few minutes. Uh, we'll wait to let uh, folks kind of uh, see it trail off in terms of trickling in. and. Um, We'll get started in a few minutes. I know I'm getting myself settled. I have my cup of coffee ready to go and uh, we look forward to starting soon. Good morning, Justine. Glad you're here with us. Just another minute or so and we'll get started. Good morning, Charlene, and good morning, Susan. Good morning, Judy. Um, and just a reminder for some folks who are just joining us, if you do wanna make sure your comment gets to everyone, go ahead and select all panelists and attendees. That way everyone can see um, and know that you're with us um, if you'd like.
Hi, Maddie. Hi, everyone. And again, uh, as folks join us, we're going to get started in just a minute. Um, we're getting settled, settled in. And uh, just a final reminder before we get started, if you do want to have um, your comments shared with everyone, including the attendees, there's that finicky, I don't know, it seems to be set as default most of the time, on Zoom at least, for um, all panelists. So make sure you go ahead and select all panelists and attendees if you want to say hello or make sure your comment gets heard by or seen by everyone. All right, it looks like we are slowing down in terms of the number of folks who are joining us. Good morning to everyone who's with us and uh, we will get started here. I wanna share, um, I'm seeing a few other folks join us and we'll just let the uh, Few folks get started. All right. Good morning, everyone. We share our opening words. A Spark of Hope by Melanie Davis. If ever there were a time for a candle in the darkness, this would be it. Using a spark of hope, kindle the flame of love, ignite the light of peace, and feed the flame of justice. Good morning, and I invite you to listen to our opening music as we start today. For all that is our life. Call to use to build the common good. 
Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Brian Pashigian and my pronouns are he and him. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Even as we gather in new ways, it is good to be together. Visitors and guests, we especially welcome you. We hope you say hello in the chat, that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and I know he'll throw his email on the uh, chat there if you're interested. You can also fill out a connection form. Maceo will put that link in his email in the chat, like I said. We love finding ways to connect together. And we'll hope that you join us after the platform service for our Zoom coffee hour for a chance to say hello. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service and we'll use some times to close the chat uh, during the platform address and reopening it after. If you don't wanna see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it on your device. You can click the red dot in, in the upper left um, of the chat box, depending on your device, and move that around, cover it, um, use what you need to to feel comfortable this morning in terms of our ability to connect and talk together during our platform. I'd like to now, um, and now so that we may share our um, values and each other's voices, I invite Katie Tao to read our statement of purpose. Katie has been the ringleader of the sidewalk chalk parties uh, started the last month on Friday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. leading up to the 16th Street Vigil for racial justice at five. Katie, we appreciate your service, which, which certainly fits in our summer theme of collaborators and co-conspirators. Thank you for letting me be of service. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you. And if you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of the storm that's tracking up the East Coast of the United States, along with the pandemic and the challenges that presents for our first responders. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love.
I now invite you into a time of meditation. This morning, I invite you to focus on your breath. Breathing in slowly and exhaling. Remembering how we're all connected, the challenges we face and the strength and the support that we have together. Taking a breath in, holding it for a moment and exhaling as we center ourselves and get comfortable this morning together. I invite you to breathe in for three seconds, counting, filling your lungs as you're comfortable to, holding for another two, and letting all the air and negativity and challenges that we face release from our bodies as we settle into our chair, or couch, or bed this morning as we're together. Doing that again. Bringing in with us and holding positivity as we prepare to express out our negativity, our stress and challenges. I invite you to breathe at your own pace for several more cycles. Thinking about the connection to each other and the world around us and all that we face together. As your mind wanders, as mine does, you might take those breaths. It's okay, it's perfectly natural. And then just try to remind yourself to bring yourself back to counting your breath. You can soften your glaze. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable. But we'll take about another minute Counting our breath in, holding for two, and letting all of our air out of our lungs as we relax this morning and prepare for our presentation. challenging sometimes to do that as we're all apart and it feels different when we're together and we're able to focus on different topics. And I invite everyone this morning to find their way through their breath to feel centered and remember that we're in community together spread across the state, the country, and the world that we're in. Thank you.
I am so excited to introduce Ann Clayson for this morning's platform address. Ann Clayson is leader emerita of the New York Society for Ethical Culture. She's also served as leader of the Ethical Humanist Society of Long Island for six years and is currently humanist chaplain of the New York University and ethical humanist religious life advisor at Columbia University. Ann holds a doctor of ministry degree in pastoral counseling and care from Hebrew Union College. She serves on the boards of the Ethical Culture Fieldston Schools and the Encampment for Citizenship. Welcome, Ann. There we go. <laughs> okay, terrific. Okay, good morning, everyone. I'm speaking to you from, uh, from Brooklyn, New York where um, it's starting to get cool. I've got some cool air coming in um, from my window here. And it's just a delight uh, to see all of you and to see all of your, your comments on the chat. Let's start off by hearing from the young people. So you're going to see a video uh, that was filmed a couple of years ago. And since I'm going to be framing this morning's talk as three different stories about the encampment, Think about this one as the middle story, the second story. So let's see the video. If I could sum up the encampment in one word, it would be inspiring. If I can sum up the encampment in one word, it would have to be liberating. The encampment makes me feel empowered. If I could sum up encampment in one word, it would be amazing and adventurous, but that's two words. <laughs> the Encampment for Citizenship is a life-changing leadership program for young people aged 15 to 18. The encampment empowers young people to tackle social justice challenges head on and make a positive difference in their communities and the world. Young people from varied backgrounds live and learn together for three weeks and leave having made lifelong connections. And campers are encouraged to think critically and are exposed to real life situations that open their eyes and change their outlook, not only of the world, but of themselves. I feel like it gives people that don't really have a voice in our community a voice and makes them want to change change their community, change, change the ways they think, and it's a, also a good experience too. A change I've noticed in me was that I'm more willing to help others, and I'm not afraid to use my voice, I'm not afraid to speak up, I'm not afraid to add a comment when it's necessary to stand up for somebody else that is kind of being belittled. Um, I'm more open-minded to different cultures and different backgrounds. Um, I'm more knowledgeable about the history and that kind of makes me have a really strong desire to help others. In myself, I have noticed that I have changed by being more receptive to people's different perspectives and being able to listen more rather than just respond quickly. The encampment has taught me that my voice matters and that my feelings are valid and as young as I am, I can still make a change in this world that I'm living in. A lot of times as young people, 
you know, we always see ourselves so much negative, but when we're in the encampment, we're creating beautiful things within ourselves. Encampment has changed me in the sense that I've gotten a different experience because being here, I've had to come over like different struggles and like that I haven't ever thought of. I think the encampment's important today because a lot of people should know that they are not alone and the encampment makes you feel that way. It supports you to get to your goals, to change your community. And campers get to meet with local and nationally known community leaders and activists. And field trips provide opportunities to explore how larger issues are being addressed on a local level. The encampment uses the arts to give young people the opportunity to interpret the world around them in creative ways and develop both individual and collective voices to speak out for justice. Each year, the summer program concludes with an intergenerational sharing, where alums join with most recent encampers to learn from their experiences and to share their own. Join thousands of young people who have been transformed by this unique program and experience the encampment for yourself. time I see that video, um, I start to tear up. And especially this summer, uh, because we were unable to meet in person and had to take the encampment online. Every time I see it, I, I also um, sort of reconnect with the young people I see in it and, and remember having met them, um, because that was filmed a couple of years ago when we were in Massachusetts and um, I was there for the intergenerational weekend. And I noticed, especially this time, how those encampers who were more extroverts, outgoing, gregarious, that they were aware of listening more. Marquise said, I, I listen more. And Marquise is now uh, one of our fellows, uh, an alumna, alumnus, um, who has started an advisory council of more recent encampers. So he has, he, he really does listen deeply. And then in the case of Deanna, um, who was very shy and introverted, she said, I learned to use my voice. And I wanna tell you a little bit about her because as you saw, she comes from South Dakota. Uh, she comes from the Lakota nation. And from the earliest days of the encampment, and I'll tell you that first story in a moment, we've always included Native Americans and indigenous peoples. When she came, we encouraged all the encampers when they come to have some project in mind that they would like to uh, present and have nurtured uh, among the other encampers and then to, to have supported by the elders during the intergenerational weekend. Deanna wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do, but she had been grieving the suicide of four of her friends. Suicide, as along with fetal alcohol syndrome, 
um, is a, a curse, if you will. A curse is not a good, good word. A plague, whatever. It's a terrible thing um, uh, in our First Nations. And so she had been struggling with that. As a result of being in the encampment, and then later on during the intergenerational weekend, she developed a plan for uh, a suicide hotline in her community. And so it has been so wonderful to be in touch with her since then and to learn how she has really made that happen. So let me take you back a few years now. We're gonna go back to 1945. Um, in 1945, ethical culture leader Elgernon Black, and I hope that you have heard about him. Um, you may have uh, used his invocation, which is a wonderful call to the community of humanity. Um, we, I often use that when I'm in interface settings or in secular settings. Al Black was quite the firebrand, and uh, he had a plan after World War II because of the concern that he had about the American education system's failure to bring together people, uh, young people, to teach them critical thinking and open-mindedness and some diversity because we were segregated. We still are, in fact, it's another platform address, but in New York City, we're probably more segregated than we were in the 60s. Be that as it may, Algernon Black, following the chaos and the horror of the Second World War and concerned with what he saw as the American education system's failure, brought together a group of other public-minded individuals, including Alice Pollitzer, Nanny was her name, Nanny was her nickname. And she was well into her 90s at the time and quite a firebrand, a prominent civic leader. And he knew that if he had Nanny on his side, that he would make this work. So sure enough, he came to the board of the New York Society with some plans. He wanted to raise about $200,000. This is, remember, back in, in, in 1946. This was on the 70th anniversary of the, uh, the founding of ethical culture. And he wanted to take on a few things. Uh, to start a contribution to a community in general by establishing the encampment for citizenship. So he came forth with this idea. He said there was, of course, no organization, no site, no faculty, no students. It was just a glint in Al Black's eye. And as the president at the time said, we would listen to Mr. Black address audiences gathered in connection with the 70th anniversary. And he was inspiring and at each meeting he waxed more eloquent. But as the weeks and months rolled by, I became worried that the time was too short and there was much to do. Well, leave it to Al Black and Nanny Pollitzer. They did pull it together. They overcame many obstacles. And in the summer of 1946, the first encampment was underway. Al Black was the educational director. Henry Herman was, had administrative responsibility and Nanny led the board of trustees. And among those trustees was, in fact, was Eleanor Roosevelt. And what was so remarkable about that was that she, of course, I shouldn't say of course, it's of course to the New York Society, that she was a very good friend of John Lovejoy Elliott and Al Black, leaders of the New York Society. And so she supported it by inviting those encampers to her home um, at Hyde Park every summer, and she would host a weenie roast there. That first encampment in 1946 had 128 students from 27 states, 
sponsored by groups as diverse as the Farmers Union and the Federation of Women's Clubs. And it continued from there, growing and growing, until we had several different sites spread across the country and even in Puerto Rico. This continued until about the, the mid-1990s, and then funding just dried up. And we tried very hard. I'm saying we, I wasn't involved at that time, um, but I am now as the co-chair of the, of the Board of Trustees. By the time that we had to fold the tent in the mid-90s, more than 7,000 people had been encampers, were the alumni of the encampment. What it did was it brought together people in a community, and I know that you have some alumni that are participating today, so perhaps they can, they can share some of their experiences. But it brought together people uh, for a six-week period. It, originally, it was older, it was, say, people who were uh, in, in college, later it was people who were in high school, from all these different walks of life, and they lived together. And although the adults did have some notions of how it was going to work and they had a frame or a vessel for the encampment, the encampers themselves set up their own governments. They set up a government, they set up a way of interacting. And, and of course, there was some you know, nurturing to go in one direction or another. But what came about every time was this miracle of engagement and of community. And it was a safe place for these young people coming from East Coast, West Coast, North, South, Christian, Jewish, Indigenous, white, black, you name it. They all came together and formed this community. When we started, when I started at the, um, at the New York Society back in 2008, I knew something about the encampment and knew that I wished I had been an encamper and wondered what had happened. Is there no alumni association? What are all these folks doing? Because I knew anecdotally that many of them had taken on leadership roles. In fact, um, in New York City, our Manhattan Borough President, Gail Brewers, is an alumna of, of the encampment. Peter Newfeld from the Long Island Society started the Innocence Project. Eleanor Holmes Norton, and I know she's been a guest of yours and she represents you. She was an alumna from 1957. So I knew a lot of these anecdotal stories and I was wondering, were they coming together? Well, as often happens, I was not the only one thinking this. And so there was another alumna, Ruth Taylor Carter, who actually comes from my neck of the woods in Western uh, New York State. She and I got together and we hosted a reunion in two, May 2009 at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. There were maybe two dozen people, not a lot, but still. We decided to have three goals from that reunion. One was to form an alumni association and to make sure that we use social media, which many of us were using at that time to reach out. The second, was to find a safe space for the archives. That was important because one, uh, one person who had been keeping some of the archives in her garage had a fire, and so we lost very important documentation. The third thing was to make sure that we offered the encampment experience to a new generation of young people. Well, the first was easily accomplished. We immediately formed an alumni association. The second, 
came about shortly thereafter. One of the alumni, Ed Peoples, who was an encamper in 1957 and then became a director of the encampment in 1966, established an archive at the James Branch Cabell Library Special Collections and Archives at the Virginia Commonwealth University. And then the third part came in 2013. And that was a revival of the encampment at the Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. It was only a two week program, it was all we could afford. We didn't have the deep pockets and the foundations that the first iteration of the encampment had. So we really had to pull out all the stops that we could. And the alumni decided that they weren't, didn't want to rely on the deep pockets and the foundations of that, that first generation because they wanted to make sure that they would be responsible for its continuity. So we pulled it together. And I've got to say the young people had a lot of faith in us because just as the first one is, we didn't necessarily have everything in place, but we were inspired and the miracle of forming community did happen. So that first revival happened in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia in 2013. Uh, the next summer, 2014, we went to the University of Illinois in Chicago. 2015, we went to Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi. For the next two summers, we were at Hampshire College in Amherst. And then in 2018, we went back to Mississippi. In 2019, we went out to Oxnard in, um, in California. And the reason we went there was because that's where a lot of farm workers are. We wanted to connect with the farm workers there. And then that sort of winds up our second story. The third story is what's happened this summer when we had to go online. So I want to take a, a break here and, and just kind of take you back over some of the stories that came out of those reunions. Um, I was so privileged to be able to uh, offer a venue for these reunions at the New York Society and to hear these stories and, and to get so excited about the ways in which ethical culture has planted so many seeds and watched them grow. And sometimes we become frustrated because maybe some of those organizations don't remember us. The ACLU, the NAACP, the Visiting Nurse Service. There are so many different organizations that we founded, that we nurtured. And we've sort of forgotten, or they've forgotten their ties to us. The encampment has never forgotten the tie to ethical culture. Um, and my hope is that I can remind our ethical societies about that so that all of you will now support us and will send your teenagers to us. Um, because I, I can't tell you what a wonderful experience it is without you actually being involved and, and, and seeing the kind of community that these young people are able to form and the kind of potential they have. These are our leaders and they're being trained in progressive leadership. And that training comes out of, although they are not all ethical culturists, in fact, very few of them are, what they have is that notion that we act in ways to bring out the goodness in others and thereby in ourselves. They live that every day in the encampment. I also wanted to tell you that at, some, at, at one time, the encampment was very well known um, in the country um, so that there was a telegram from President John F. Kennedy uh, to William Haddad. It is a pleasure to commend the encampment for its past work 
and I look forward with you to major tasks that lies ahead, not only for those who had the responsibility of running the encampment, but for your alumni as they carry out the lessons learned there. And Kennedy cited the encampment as being the inspiration for the Peace Corps. He said the encampment has been an effective pioneering project in citizenship education, and that time has helped train people for all walks of American life. Our government and now the Peace Corps have reaped the harvest of your work. One of the people that I, I met, I want to tell you her story. I'm just going to tell a couple of stories uh, that I heard from the, these reunions. Um, I was coach, now I'm co-chair with Diane London, um, who's in Boston. She's an alumna. Um, but my first co-chair was Ada Deer. Um, Ada Deer was in the encampment in 1955 or 56. And she became the head of the Indian, the, the Indian Girls Affair in DC. She grew up um, in the Midwest, um, in one of the First Nations. Her mother grew up in, on Society Hill in Philadelphia and went out west to become a teacher and a social worker, uh, fell in love with her future husband and had children there and stayed there. Ada Deer tells the story about how one day a black Cadillac pulled up in front of their house. The door opened and out of it stepped a woman that looked exactly like her mother, but dressed in a beautiful blue dress. And then she realized that was her mother's twin sister. Next out the, uh, the door of the car came an elderly gentleman dressed in a suit and looking very austere. Her mother then came out of the house and greeted them. They came, her family had come, to try to talk her mother into returning to Philadelphia with them and leaving her life behind. And Ada will never forget how her grandfather, whom she'd never met before, referred to her and her siblings as half-breeds. She brought that story to a reunion and said how that opened up a whole world to her she had not realized, although her mother had told stories, the kind of change that her mother had gone through, the kind of transformation her mother had gone through. And so Ada decided at that point that she would do everything that she could to educate herself, to be a teacher, and to lead her people. And she led the revived encampment uh, for a number of years and has only recently uh, turned over the, the, the chair to other people, um, but she's still very much a member of the board and very much our inspiration. When I went to the first inter, not the first one, but one of the, the following intergenerational weekends um, in Tougaloo, Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi, um, I, I just want to tell you what an exciting experience it was for me to be at Tougaloo College, um, but also to see the young people there, many African-Americans who did not know their own history and how powerful it was for them to hear from Mr. Hollis Watkins, who was a founder of the Mississippi Veterans of the Civil Rights Movement. He taught the participants a song, Oh Freedom, Freedom, Freedom Come and It Won't Be Long. And he shared his activist history he asked us to call him Hollis. We were all saying, Mr. Watkins, Mr. Watkins, please just call me Hollis. 
Um, he was a member and an organizer of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and a county organizer for Freedom Summer in 1964. He saw the inside of more than one jail cell. To hear his message was so powerful. One story he told us was that the door to his jail cell had been left open and he was encouraged to walk out. You don't have to worry. Go ahead, the door's open, go on out. But he knew what would happen if he did. If he had left, they would have sicked the dogs on him. Um, he would have been lucky to have survived. And so he settled into his jail cell, that's okay, I'm fine. And he started singing. <laughs> I, I, I just remember him telling that story and sitting in a circle with the encampers um, and with us elders from the intergenerational weekend. The resurrection, as it were, of the encampment brought with it a kind of an energy from the alumni that the first one, it was a different kind of energy from the first one. In the first one, it was sort of, you know, people, again, digging into their pockets, getting grants from foundations, offering this as a gift to the young people who were there. The second, the resurrection, where the alumni connecting with one another and getting in touch with their sense of mourning and grief when they had returned to their families, to their schools, to their communities, after this intense experience of the encampment and not really being connected to others and feeling that they were doing this on their own. Yes, they wrote letters, there were phone calls, but today with social media, we have such a way of connecting that was beyond what they could have imagined at the time. So at the reunions, you hear a kind of an excitement from this generation. Peter Neufeld, for example, who started the Innocence Project, was in Kentucky and he met coal miners. And not only that, but they were in a community that was very racist. So to have an integrated, a mixed, diverse group of encampers living together in that community was a great danger to them. And so the adults at that time really had to, and the young people, the alumni realize that now, took great risks themselves to keep the encampers safe as a diverse community in those very segregated and racist towns. He spoke about the kind of loss that he felt when he returned home, although his parents and certainly the Long Island Society were great social justice activists. He missed that connection. So now, bringing us up to date, in the third iteration of the encampment where we've had to go online, we decided that we needed to expand it. So although we had four weeks of, of online connection, we're continuing the program for six months so that the encampers will be meeting once a month and coming back with the projects that they had supported and nurtured by the elders from the intergenerational group to make sure that those continue. So I think the gift of that alumni group has been to say, we want this to continue not only in a limited intense summer experience, but also 
to extend that experience, and to promise you that we will be here as your mentors. I mentioned the difficulties that they had in the towns that were segregated and racist. Eleanor Roosevelt was a longtime chair of the encampment board of sponsors. And I mentioned that she hosted these barbecues at her estate. The program was attacked by McCarthyite forces in the early 1950s, and she defended it vigorously. Here's what she said. The reason I think these encampments are so important is that they are attended by citizens of different races and groups. They prepare people for thinking in terms of all people and not in terms of a selected few. Not only we in the United States, but people all over the world need young people trained to be good citizens with an ability to think with an open mind. And that was what Al Black realized after World War II, is that there was a narrative that having won the war, we had made the world safe and free for democracy. And yet, what did that mean? What does democracy really mean? I'm sure many of you watched the memorial service for John Lewis this week and listened to the eulogies. And one thing that came through loud and clear is that democracy isn't just about going into a voting booth and pulling down a lever as we used to do or sending in a mail-in ballot. That's only part of it. And really when you think of it, it's only a small part. Democracy is the principles and techniques of citizenship through lived experience, through lived experience with people who are like us and people who are not like us. And perhaps more importantly, people who are not like us. That first encampment in 1946 drew from people across the country, white, black, Native Americans, Mexican-American, North, South, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, farmer, office worker, factory worker, minor, veterans, all of them were represented and that was done with great intention, as you might well imagine. They established their own government and were guided through a kind of socio-political activism, a sense of civic responsibility and participation. Now, I want to give you an example of that. One of the early, one of the guests was Dr. Martin Luther King. He was a supporter and he was a speaker at the encampment. And he linked the encampment with the development of vital citizenship skills and, and with the Peace Corps. So he had been invited by the adults. The first 20 years, the encampment was housed at the Fieldston campus. So as you know, ethical culture was founded in 1876. The Working Man's School, which became the Ethical Culture School, was founded in 1878. Um, its building still adjoins the New York Society's Meeting House. As that grew and expanded, they found another campus in the Bronx called Fieldston, in the Fieldston campus. So the first 20 years, the encampment was there. Very close by train to get into the city. So indeed, some of the encampers during a break 
heard there was going to be a big rally in Columbus Circle featuring Malcolm X. So of course they got in the train and they went down there and they listened to him. And because they had been trained to find their own voices and to take risks, after the rally, two of them approached Malcolm X and told them about the encampment. And they said, could we take you out to lunch? We'd like to talk to you about this. And so he accepted the invitation. And he said, you know, we had a visitor a while ago, you know, Dr. King, we think that we should hear from you too. Would you be willing to go with us? And in fact, he did. And so here you have um, encampers finding their voices, taking the risk, inviting Malcolm X to go up to Fieldston, to go up to the campus and to address them. I want to have one more quotation and then I'm going to wind down and I suspect there may be some questions, some comments, and I hope we'll hear from the alumni who are, who are among the participants. Eleanor Holmes Norton, you know her well, civil rights activist, long-standing Congresswoman. She went to the encampment in 1957 and she said, the encampment is one of the most significant models for getting young people seriously and thoughtfully involved in public policy and matters of local and national importance. I will never forget my own experience as a young person eager for the discovery of the issues at that time. So I'm, I'm going to leave you with her quotation um, and just uh, encourage you to go on the website, uh, to look through the photographs, the videos. Uh, the alumni have contributed their testimonies and photographs and to consider supporting us. Uh, right now, a big concern for us is financial, um, although we did save our traveling costs this summer, um, but we do still have staff and we have outreach, so we do have financial concerns. And as I said, we don't have the deep pockets and the foundational grants that we once had. Um, so I encourage you to go on um, to support us and please send us your teens next summer. We are so hopeful that we'll be able to meet in person. Um, if not, uh, the most important thing, of course, is to keep our young people safe. If not, we'll meet again online. We learned a lot about how to do that. Um, and uh, I, I'm just so excited because um, the recent encampers have now become um, our fellows. They are now leading our programs. They have an advisory council. And um, as I picture them before me, um, forgive me, but I'm tearing up <laughs> because I know them well, I love them. Um, and I think they have far exceeded what L. Black and Nanny, no, I, that's not true. L. Black and Nanny Pollitzer had wonderful imaginations. I don't think they did exceed it. I think they're doing exactly what they imagined them to do. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to tell um, about the encampment for citizenship.
say to our platform and our music this morning very inspiring which has been echoed by many comments already this is the time when we add our own voice to the morning sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own life i invite you to share in the chat consider sharing a ways that you've um, were connecting to the idea of civil engagement that was presented this morning or any thoughts that you have and i know we have a lot of folks to uh to hear from, I'm gonna do my best to share some of those thoughts now. Um, and I wanna make sure to in, uh, invite folks to include all panelists and all attendees to make sure that they share their comment with everyone if you're interested. So we have lots of folks uh, echoing the um, inspiration and uh, learning for the first time about the encampment and um, interest in sending their own children, uh, teens there. Um, very cool to hear. Um, uh, I want to add that, um, let's see, Peter says it's wonderful to have the um, encampment presented to us in a way that's very much more immediate and motivating than all the other previous exposures to it. Um, let's see, Laura, um, Laura Steele adds, um, and thank you so much. Uh, not the first time I've heard of it, of course, but um, it's very nice to want, have that inspiration to have a long conversation about it and hoping to have part of those uh, uh, abilities to have a support um, from adults as well. Um, Joanna, uh, Joe London's sharing that I'm um, loving the enthusiasm and excitement and um, sharing all um, about that and that she's been a supporter since the first time she learned about it. I think folks who aren't uh, teenagers anymore, this is echoed by Joe, would love to have that opportunity um, when we were teens to have participated in something in that way. Um, Peter uh, shared that, especially um, hearing about Eleanor Holmes Norton talking about it, um, reminding about, um, uh, talk about the Youth Street Collective and um, some of the connections there to ethical culture. Um, lots of folks sharing, it's amazing. Um, Justine Johnson's sharing uh, the inspiration. Lauren sharing one raising program and Abby saying um, there's a question from a teen. How old do you have to be to participate? So um, that's great to hear. Anne says um, sharing her email address and it's ages 16 to 19. 
So that's very good to see. Um, and again, more folks uh, really feeling that, uh, wish to have that own experience, but at least being able to support it. I wasn't able to, um, um, if you're on Facebook and watching this live, um, thank you for sharing your comments there and that would be nice to have saved there. Um, if anybody else has any questions or comments, or I, I believe that earlier there was a comment from someone who had or experienced with um, the encampment. And so um, it's good to hear from folks being able to see that. Thank you, Ann. Um, we want to, um, so to, so we share our um, perspectives in this community, but we also share our resources and gifts. And here at West, we give half of all of our donated cash to a program whose values resonate with our own ethical culture principles. This month, we are sharing the plate with um, the Reverend Char um, Charlene Belsom Zelmer uh, as an interfaith minister in the region on the steering committee um, for the um, Congregation Action Network and is also the co-lead in the Montgomery County cluster. We look forward to hearing from her um, more about the Congregation, uh, Congregation Action Network. Good morning, friends in faith. It's an honor and a delight to share your platform space once again. There are many uncertainties with, that we confront now. Our physical and mental health and safety, food and housing insecurity, remote or in-person learning for our children, and so much more. Plus, there are your internal leadership changes here at WES as you say goodbye to your spiritual guides and consider your own next steps as a community. Yet in this, we can hold confidence. We have each other and we can rely on each other. And that brings us to this day filled with hope. Once again, the Washington Ethical Society is raising funds for the vital intersectional work of immigrant justice in our region. Work, some of this work is organized, led, and executed by the Congregation Action Network, of which you are a part. This group has nearly 70 congregations, and we have grown beyond the capacity of our single lead organizer, whom you know, Omar Angel Perez. I'd like to update you briefly on our current campaigns. First, Sanctuary for Rosa at Cedar Lane, in which you have participated, is coming to a close as Rosa and her family move into the community once her one-year stay of removal is finalized. We'll continue to support them as they make this transition and wait for her asylum case judgment. Secondly, getting and keeping ICE out of our communities has multiple focal points here in DC, in Maryland, and in Virginia. Supporting immigrants and their families who are detained and seeking their release to the community during the pandemic is a vital and life-saving priority. We also watchdog the potential construction of detention centers and seek to prevent and cease the cooperation with ICE through 287G and IGSA agreements, which needlessly profile, detain, and deport immigrants. Decarceration work intersects with the Live Free campaign of faith in action 
and the Black Lives Matter and anti-racist movements sweeping the country to defend all Black, Brown, Indigenous people of color. Finally, some of our other campaigns include the immigrant-led COVID-19 Emergency Fund and the constantly unfolding efforts with others to support those who hold deferred actions such as DACA and TPS. We collaborators and co-conspirators have each other and we can rely on each other in organizing and in action. Thank you all for giving generously this morning and throughout this month of August to the work we share with Congregation Action Network. Thank you. I'm not a lone wolf and I never was. Anything I achieve, I achieve it because I am standing on the shoulders of an infinite many seen and unseen. I'm not a lone wolf and I never was. Anything I achieve, I achieve it because I am riding on the tidal wave of universal longing i'm dropping I'm the eye wolf, i'm claiming the weed i'm feeling the everyone inside of me i'm dropping the I'm mind i'm claiming the hours because the whole is greater than the sum of the parts i'm dropping the eye i'm claiming the weed i'm feeling the everyone inside of me i'm dropping the mind i'm claiming the hours because i recognize how connected we are i'm dropping the high i'm claiming the we i'm feeling the everyone inside of me i'm dropping the mind i'm claiming the hours because the whole is greater than the sum of the parts i'm dropping the high i'm claiming the we i'm feeling the everyone inside of me i'm dropping the mind i'm claiming the hours because i recognize how connected we are I'm not alone. Wow, thank you. And very good news to hear about um, the family of Sierra Lane being able to move forward. If you're a visitor this morning, we invite you to be. Um, let's see. We'll. Uh, I want to make sure that there's um, a chance to um, note the give by text option um, or donating online in terms of uh, moving forward with that and as it was seen on the screen. And maybe we can put that up in the um, chat one more time. Thank you. A lot of good reactions to the music today all around and to the platform. Thank you to the many people um, who helped create this morning's time together. Um, our tech host, uh, Johnny, and uh, Sonia, I know, is helping as well. Our speaker, uh, Ann Clayson. Our musician, Leah, and um, and uh, looks like with a collaboration there. And uh, thank you for those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. Um, the Let's see. In terms of announcements, we have a few things on the schedule. Um, and you can find that on the uh, website. See, we have um, events coming up. We have a Monday kickoff check-in that's available. Uh, thank you, Shayla, for putting that up there. Um, perfect. Uh, we have the Monday kickoff at 5.30, and we have the Friday um, 
TGIF at 5.30. And uh, you can see the rest of the calendar at ethicalsociety.org if you're interested in things going on. Um, and Anne, thank you for as well putting the website for um, up as well in the comments there. Very important, all that connection and information to share. I want to uh, make sure to note that, um, let's see if you were um, planning on the AU, uh, uh, they had a presentation later today that that's canceled today, um, that was on your calendar. And uh, finally, thank you to everyone for being here with us. Uh, being in com community during this time, um, and all time really, uh, it's so important, but um, it speaks to also our platform address, just how important it is to connect and keep that communication going and finding ways to support each other with all the work that we have to do. Um, I invite you now to sing along at home, if you want, uh, to our closing song. We resist, we refuse to performed by our own Wes virtual chorus, um, which is amazing, the work that they've been able to do even during this time. And uh, it's important to note, so. And now I invite you to um, join me in our closing words this month. 
Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding and nurturing collaboration in the quest for a better world. Thank you all for being with us. I want to note a few very important things. So um, we are continuing our time and community together following the platform. We have the opportunity to join the coffee hour. So it won't be here on this, um, this meeting link. On the screen, you can see that there's the coffee hour link and uh, we will be able to come together in different ways in different sized groups um, and continue to have uh, an opportunity to talk, discuss, and uh, very much look forward to that. Um, I do wanna just address, let's see, a couple um, comments here. Um, yes, uh, notes towards, for thank you to the chorus, that was very nice. And um, uh, we're really happy to have, find all these different ways to connect right now um, with everything that's going on. I feel like we're getting better and better at it. And uh, that's, that's a good thing for all of us, so. Um, uh, note again, just a reminder that this Friday also, the Friday 16th Street vigils continue. Um, Katie will be doing something amazing with chalk. We know that for sure. So I want to note that. And um, thank you to everyone again. So if uh, we'll be wrapping up this meeting in the next uh, minute or so, I'll wait for folks to find their way to the coffee hour if they'd like. We'd love to see you and talk there and continue the conversation. Um, let me see if we have any other questions with that process. Um, okay, also, great point. Thank you, Maceo. Um, newcomers Q&A at noon. Um, and you put a link in the, um, in the chat. So um, we uh, want to continue having all these ways, just like we would if we were together, right, to continue discussing um, uh, any questions you may have about our community. We love talking about it. Johnny, uh, it, let's see, we've got the um, link up there on the screen. I want to make sure that's um, clear. We've got, um, if you're looking back on the chat, we've got emails to every, um, to folks, we've got websites. Um, and again, thanks, Anne, for putting up um, the encampment website as well. I know folks are interested in seeing that. All right, uh, I'm gonna be wrapping up here in just a minute and we'll get connected over the coffee hour if you'd like or enjoy your Sunday, wherever you may be. I can't speak about the weather because uh, who knows what the weather is where you are, but uh, here it's gonna be a little hot, but it'll be nice. We'd love that cool breeze from uh, uh, in New York that you were talking about, Ian. Not quite yet here. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, and again, Johnny put it, just to make it a little easier in the chat, if you wanna just click on the link um, for the coffee hour, we'd love to see you there in chat. Um, so it's Johnny just put that up. Um, and uh, with that, um, appreciate everyone's time this morning and we'll start, we're gonna be closing this meeting in just the next uh, minute or two. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Okay. All right.